Hi, this is Linda Dami of Quantum Temple, the Web3 platform that helps preserve cultural heritage and connect with ancestral communities. I'm on The Edge on NFT, the podcast that helps you connect with a diversity of personalities and cultures in Web3. Keep listening. Hi, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode to learn how Quantum Temple is bringing the art and culture of ancestral communities onto the blockchain. And how today's guest prize possession is a special type of document that unlocks new worlds of experiences. And how Yuka Labs continues to trailblaze within new forms of NFT and Web3 innovation. And finally, NFTLA 2022 was a blast. It was also a blast off. In a giant plume of bright burning rocket fuel, Web3, NFTs, blockchain, decentralization, and a suite of immersive new tech developments have just exploded onto the canvas of life. Outer Edge is the theme of this year's event dedicated to those of you building with us at the Outer Edges, making the future happen. The community-centric gathering returns to LA March 20th to the 23rd, 2023 to uplift creators and technologists through interactive experiences, a wide variety of discussions and presentations, and entertaining surprises that transport participants to the outer edge of what's possible when we co-create a new paradigm, embracing the decentralized web, AI, extended reality, and more. To register to attend or learn how to co-create an experience on the Outer Edge, head to outeredge.live. The event's being organized by the Edge of Company and us founders here at the Edge of NFT podcast. See you there. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts of the business side and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Linda Adami, of Quantum Temple, a platform that enables equitable exchanges between conscious collectors and ancestral communities through Web3 technology. Linda is a passionate multicultural innovation and impact strategist with almost 10 years of experience in emerging markets across Central America, Southeast Asia, and the Gulf. After graduating with honors in political economy from King's College London, she worked at the Nexus of International Development Research and Innovation at top-tier private and public institutions. Most recently, she has been working with the government of Dubai at the Dubai Future Foundation. She developed public strategies and a global community platform called Dubai Future Talks, which hosts pioneers, academics, and artists, including Jeffrey Sachs, Will I Am, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Bjarke Ingels, and Nick Bostrom. As CEO of Quantum Temple, Linda works around the globe with local communities, government, and NGOs to preserve cultural heritage. The goal of Quantum Temple is to protect and share the knowledge, traditions, and art forms of cultures around the world in perpetuity through blockchain technology. Linda, welcome to Edge of NFT. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Awesome. And for those that are reviewing the video, you have kind of a fun background there. Now, I see some like kind of step farming going on. It reminds me of Peru. And I don't know if you even know the origin of that photo, but that's based in Peru or some Latin American country. 
That's actually based in Bali called Jadi Louis Rice Terrace. And it was named as UNESCO World Heritage Site back in 2012. Awesome. So maybe we can talk about it a little bit because uh, our project actually touched that. A so maybe if that's interesting, we can talk about that. Of WWE. course. Of course. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I spent some time in Peru and, and my partner, Christine, works with indigenous communities in Peru. Amazing. So this will be interesting to cover. <laughs> I think the first thing we can chat about is maybe some history on Quantum Temple and how it came to be. What's the origin story here? Cool. Yeah. Thank you for that. So as you said, I spent the last seven years uh, working with the Dubai government. And actually, that's when I got introduced to blockchain back in 2016, when we endeavored to place 100% of government services on chain by 2020. And that actually was achieved. In fact, the Dubai government runs most of its uh, government services on a private blockchain, which then kind of spearhead all of the other more Web3 and crypto initiatives, such as like the early crypto regulations and last year, the creation of the Virtual Asset Regulatory Authority under which the Binance and Kraken of the world have taken license. So I got introduced to blockchain and its potential like fairly early on. And then during the pandemic, I took some time off from my government job and I ventured east uh, to Indonesia, where I'm actually currently speaking from, from Jakarta. I spent most of my time in Bali, which for everyone knows, this amazing island is the only Hindu island in the whole Indonesian archipelago. And the economic driver for the island is tourism, right? So 70% of the total economy relies on tourism. And of course, we all remember what happened when COVID was in place and the travel restrictions were put in place. So everyone was staying at home. So there was a pretty dramatic impact on the ground, right? And I was very interested, uh, not just in the hospitality side and how they were reacting to this, but more importantly, all of those other sectors that are heavily relying on tourism for distribution specifically the cultural heritage sector, right? Which is definitely a sector that we all maybe have interacted in different ways, whether we go to a museum or when we travel. In fact, a lot of the reasons why we travel is to learn about new cultures. So think of like communities of artisans, performing artists or heritage site keeper. Some, they didn't have any income. And in Bali, most of them had to default back to farming for almost three years to provide for their own livelihoods. And clearly this was not a problem that was just specific to the island, right? Like it was happening all over the world. So I began to think about, to think more about the space and also learn that there were wider structural issues that were happening, right? Cultural tourism and the creative sector at large represents 40% of tourism, which is $9 trillion industry before COVID. It's also the second largest employer in the developing world, but it's heavily underfunded and the value is actually very much concentrated by the hospitality players. In fact, the United Nations World Tourism Organization, the UNWTO, estimates for every $100 that are spent on a tour holiday, only $5 stay in that country when that country is a developing country, right? So we all think that when we travel, we're positively contributing to the places we visit and the communities that are part of it. But actually, we are not aware of what's actually happening with our purchase decision, with our contributions. So really began to think about what solutions are are available here. And it was March 2021, when, of course, we remember the Christie's auction with the people piece that was sold and then the kind of wild adoption of NFTs by digital artists. And I thought that actually the cultural heritage sector would have also equally benefited by blockchain application and Web3 at large and began to think about how essentially to do it. And that was really the genesis of Quantum Temple, which is currently building end-to-end Web3 infrastructure to really power and preserve the cultural heritage space and unlock regenerative funding to communities that work in the sector. 
happy to talk a little bit more about how it works and how we're we're thinking about this. But that's the origin story. Super fascinating and definitely one of the more pioneering social impact projects we've heard about in the space. And it sounds like what you're doing is enabling equitable exchanges between these conscious collectors, if you will, and traditional ancestral communities through Web3 technology, which is fascinating. Can you kind of dive into that for our listeners in terms of what that means and how that intersection came to be? Perfect. Yes. So we have actually built our own native infrastructure. So we are launching actually this month our own multi-chain native NFT marketplace. We currently support both Ethereum and Algorand, and we're going to onboard more L1s later this year. So we've built a specific infrastructure that is catered to heritage. Heritage is a little bit more nuanced than digital art at large, I would say. And it was very important to protect the interest and especially the cultural heritage IP, which we don't have, we can go into later to really make sure that we have created a dedicated space and a safe environment to actually pilot this. As we all know, there is heavily unregulated, right? And we really wanted to create, again, a safe space to bring this to market, both for the communities that are involved, that are the custodians of what is called traditional knowledge, culture, heritage, IP, and for the donors and the collectors that are contributing. So we've built our own native NFT marketplace. And then the key concept is really about using blockchain for one, creating immutable records of heritage, as we know, because of like sea level rise or conflicts or failed incentive models, financial incentive models, a lot of cultural heritage at risk. Like every year we lose languages, knowledge of how to make artifacts and so on. So creating an immutable record on chain is actually the best way, or we believe the best technology to preserve heritage, where that is decentralized and immutable. And so that would enable collectors to essentially be steward of that and a contributor to the preservation of this heritage. But more importantly is that once the assets, these cultural heritage assets are tokenized, we can really provide royalty streams in perpetuity in a transparent fashion to the communities that are involved. So what's unique about Quantum Temple is that actually we've spent a lot of time and resources to provide true Web3 inclusion for the communities that are involved. So as you'll see and we'll discuss, our cultural heritage NFTs collection are created in partnership with, with local communities from many countries around the world. Our first one is based in Indonesia. And we have supported them into actually getting onboarded onto their first crypto wallet and understand how that works so that in the royalty split mechanism of the smart contracts, actually the collector will have full transparency and visibility of how their contribution are going and trickling down to the communities that are involved. So there is really we're using NFTs as a new way to enable, as you said, transparent philanthropy and social impact, but also this new way to connect and bond to the communities that are involved and really have that transparency of how our contributions are impact and change on the ground. Yeah, it's fascinating to see people working on this. I mean, as someone who's, again, traveled to a place where you can interact with indigenous communities and purchase artifacts or whatever you want to call them, like their handcrafted mm -hmm. things, it can be a bit of a conundrum to figure out, is this person mm -hmm. I'm buying from? Is this ethical? Is the price right? Even if you go to like a market, right? Yeah. And you purchase something from someone, you could be like, okay, how much should I be spending on this? How much would a local spend? Exactly. And how much would somebody from another country? Maybe it should be a different price, right? <laughs> Just to honor discrepancies in economy and things like that. It's definitely a fascinating world. There's kind of problems on both sides for the communities yeah, the on way, the ground. By the way, more than being fascinating, fascinating is an appropriate word. Like it's complicated, right? And there's sort of negative aspects. It's not just fascinating, but yeah, go on. Yeah, exactly. Like I think there's issues and challenges on both sides, right? And it's always about trust. 
So on the one hand, for the local communities, the inability to access global market and distribution like prevents them from realizing the true potential and the true value of the artworks and or how to capitalize on their, again, cultural IP, right? In the case of especially artifacts, how many times we've seen local community maybe creating a specific, let's say, a piece of artwork that is sold, let's say, for $100 and then it gets sold for tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in the New York or London or Paris of the world in maybe this big ethnic art fair and so on. And of course, we all know that value creation is not being shared with the original creator, right? So definitely enabling through royalties. We definitely are big proponents for royalties and really sharing that value creation with the original creator, especially when it comes to traditional artifact is definitely something that has a lot of potential. And then on the other hand, on your case, in the example that you just gave, it's really about provenance and authenticity, right? Like there's so many issues about quality for just general artifact. On the other hand, also like illicit trafficking of cultural heritage is a huge issue. It's one of the resources that is being used even to fund like terrorism that not everyone talks about. So there's a lot of illicit artifacts that have been trading around the world that have not been probably tracked. So there's definitely a lot of different use cases that are for blockchain being applied to the sector. We're very interested right now in showcasing how this could be a new funding model for especially living tangible and intangible heritage. So providing new alternative income streams, a transparent and accountable way for all the communities that are continuing the practicing cultural heritage, but we have many different ambitions and we see, as I just mentioned, like many different applications that can provide a lot of value. Yeah. And I see you have won this Awake Tourism Challenge that the UN World Tourism Organization hosted. Congratulations on that. Thank you. What a great honor. Can you tell us a little bit more about this and how being involved with that affects the vision of the company? Yeah, thank you so much for that. Yeah, the UNWTO is, for everyone who doesn't know, is the United Nations World Tourism Organization. There's many different innovation programs the United Nations is driving, but definitely UNWTO has been really active in driving, especially responsible regenerative tourism. So we're very honored to be awarded, especially to be awarded the Awake Tourism Challenge for the category of local community involvement. And I think it's a great sign also from a traditional institution, essentially recognize the role of Web3 and specifically in this case, like NFTs in creating positive impact, right? So we're very happy for for being there, recognize the award. And there's many different programs that have been, we're going to be involved uh, later this year that we'll be happy to talk about. And it sounds like you're getting the resources and support you need for success, like $2 million in pre-seed funding, which you're using to leverage Web3 for cultural heritage preservation. That's amazing. Obviously, $2 million still needs to be stretched pretty far to make a big impact. How are you going to use these funds for the next stage of the project? Yeah, thank you for that. Definitely, we have a big ambition. This is a very challenging problem to solve. It's very large and very deep because it's also a very sensitive, again, sector and there's communities involved. These are also many times like vulnerable communities. So there's a lot of intentionality and purpose that needs to go into this. So it's not about taking Ethan and I and Jeff on a trip to Bali to like talk about this. Like there's other things that you need to do with the money. I got it. All right. Exactly. And so we spent actually the first year, especially like last year, in really understanding the use case. As I mentioned earlier, the origin story was in Indonesia, but we actually ventured out into other countries, specifically in LATAM, to understand how to best do this at scale in a way that can work in multiple geographies. So we've been working also with the government of Peru and Panama last year, which will be the next collection we released, and really understanding both from the bottom up, and the top down, how to approach this. So from the bottom up, first of all, protecting the interests of the local communities involved, which are the custodian of culture, heritage, IP. 
cultural heritage IP is insanely messy. Something that even at the top level institutions involved with UNESCO and the World Intellectual Property Organization like have not been able to create you know, a fully comprehensive global framework of how to protect this in a way that is globally recognized. So every country is different. So we're not going to get into any of that. But all of this to say that there's a lot of nuances. And that's why even in our approach, we are creating more of a centralized pilot format to bring this to market in a safe way. And so from the bottom up, we spend a lot of time with the communities under understanding what their challenges are, how they also saw this really being positively contributing, providing solutions to their own use cases. Because again, cultural tourism is very vast. There's artisans, there's heritage sites, performing arts, intangible heritage. And then on the other hand, working with the government institutions in those countries to also understand the boundaries of the law. So for example, in Indonesia here, we have been working alongside the Ministry of Tourism and Creative Economy. In other countries, we work with the Ministry of Tourism and Culture. Depends, every country also is different. And really understanding from their side, their view on Web3, their view on NFTs and how to vertically integrate it into their own sector. The good news is that actually there's a lot of excitement, especially from the institution side, the government side, especially in, I would say in Asia, as we all seen the metaverse strategy that was just announced in Japan or also where I live in Dubai. And also I would say in general in the region, there's been a lot of support and initiatives that have been driven from the government leadership. I think in LATAM, there's even more need for the application of the sector because cultural heritage is a sector that has been incredibly underfunded and under-digitized. It hasn't really benefited other digital transformation like other sectors have. And so, as we all know, in LATAM, 51% of the population at large, and for sure, and certainly all of the communities that work in heritage are remote, sometimes completely underbanked, sometimes even lack of basic energy infrastructure and therefore digital connectivity. So if we invest into Web3 inclusion, we can solve other macro challenges that are happening on the ground, right? And as I mentioned earlier, this is not a small sector. This is one of the largest sector and the second largest employer in the developing world just after agriculture. So there's a lot of value and impact that can be unlocked into putting the resources in place and creating, again, the best system to really enable the solutions. Yeah. It's such a complicated world and anything like that, we get to put like a pretty face on it, but I'm sure it's, yeah, it becomes quite stressful sometimes, right? To just navigate all the details. And so it's really great to have folks like yourself taking on the challenge. You have this NFT, it's an NFT collection, right? Mm -hmm. Path to Alango. It's inspired by Balinese culture in Indonesia. Tell us about it. Is it launched yet? When will it launch? What should we know about it? Amazing. Yes. Congrats on pronouncing that right. <laughs> so Pasta Lango is our inaugural cultural heritage NFT collection, which is based, as you said, on uh, in Bali, Indonesia. It's already live on our website, so you can check it out at quantumtemple.xyz. It's an amazing collection because Alango is an old Japanese word, which means transient beauty, perfection, harmony. It's a very complicated word, but in English, it would be kind of explained or translated as such. And it really showcased how the Balinese people through their philosophy, their ceremony, rituals, their relationship with themselves, people in their community and nature are achieving this sense of harmony and balance, right? So it's an amazing opportunity to actually learn more about Balinese heritage. That was really the intention and also provide a new way to transparently provide impact and resources to all of the communities involved. So the collection includes 11 different NFTs, only 
10 are for sale because one is representing an aspect of Balinese heritage, which is sacred, which we still, with uh, yeah, obviously the collaboration of the community, wanted to showcase, but because it's sacred, it couldn't be commercialized. So we're still used showing that we can use the blockchain to create immutable records of heritage, but necessarily being also respectful of those aspects that in fact cannot be commercialized. And this NFT collection was uh, created in partnership with 11 different communities. And we're very proud that actually, besides being a small initial pilot, we're actually impacting more than 6,000 people. And we've been onboarding those communities onto their first crypto wallet as well. And also starting the blockchain education and onboarding from their side, which is also very exciting. So we are literally launching that. Is being launched next week and the auction will run throughout until the end of next week. We're also doing a big launch event and live auction in Paris on March 21st during Paris Blockchain Week. So definitely recommend to check out our socials for all of the developments that will happen there. Awesome. Yeah, we're doing this episode right in time. By the yeah, way, what is their first it. wallet? Is it like a MetaMask on a smartphone? What happens to be yeah. folks' first wallet in these communities? Does it vary? Totally. So actually, Indonesia is a very interesting country. There's been so much excitement for Web3 and crypto adoption. It's actually one of the fastest growing country for crypto adoption. So here in Indonesia, we are partnering with Pintu, which is regulated custodial wallet, which directly integrates with the bank accounts. When it comes to working with communities in the sector, the thing that matters the most is easy on-ramps and off-ramps. And I think that's true in general for everyone else that is not a Web3 native, but definitely for the type of community and users that we're working with, right? So Pintu is amazing because obviously it's in Bahasa, which is the local language, and it directly integrates with the bank account. So the amazing thing is that when the NFTs will, the auction will sell, you can already see on our website how the proceeds distribution and the royalty distribution work and their wallet address has been directly placed into the smart contract. So it's immutable, it's perpetual and will forever, as long as these assets continue to trade, it will really become like a digital asset that can provide impact and resources directly on the ground to the communities that are involved. Cool. Yeah, very exciting. And I'm looking forward to following where all of this goes. I know there's a big social media announcement earlier this week would love to sort of learn more about your roadmap and some partnerships, collaborations, particularly let's kick it off with the new announcement. Yeah, thank you. It's been a really, really amazing week here on the ground in Jakarta. So we announced earlier this week on Monday, our MOU signing with the Ministry of Tourism and Creative Economy of uh, Indonesia. This was a very important milestone, obviously, for us as a Web3 startup, but more importantly, I think for the sector as a whole, because we believe we're probably the first company in the space to have signed a collaboration of this kind with a formal institution as a Ministry of Tourism. Specifically here in Indonesia, it is the first time that the government has actually formally recognized a specific NFT project. Clearly, regulation is in place when it comes to crypto, but there's no regulation when it comes to NFTs. So really, this was a very significant milestone also from their side in recognizing NFTs for this use case as a big value add for the digital and creative economy. And so we're going to be working together, obviously, outside of the Pasqualango is obviously our first pilot project, which we're super excited about bringing to market and make it very successful. But there's going to be many more collaborations that are already in motion that are coming out of this MOU. So very excited to announce those yeah. in a due time. And yeah. where does all this go from here? 
like if you could wave your magic wand and paint the future, where would you like to be with Indonesia in two or three years? Yeah, I think so. We have different kind of like NFT initiatives that we are launching this year. The Culture Heritage NFT collection of Pasto again is the first pilot. And it's also like one of the types of NFTs that we're piloting this year. I'm not sure why this keeps happening. <laughs> It's a light in your house, like the bulb. You just have to turn it, it off and on happen. again. I'm curious too. I'm kind of happen. like that fix-it guy. I'm like, oh, I could fix that. I think yeah. actually this is a reserve energy. It's for a good cause. It's for okay. preserving energy, but it hasn't happened this week. Maybe I need to keep moving in the call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what so it is. So they know you, that you I'm have... here. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's one of those rooms where if you don't move too much, the light goes off. Yes. Exactly. But it hasn't happened this week. And maybe I was more animated in my team calls or not at all. (laughs) We need to do some calisthenics here. All right, go on. What's your vision, long-term vision here, as Josh asked? Yeah, I think we're very interested in the notion of creating also digital twins for cultural landscapes and heritage sites. So like in really enabling this new form of like, if you will, digital tourism, where depending on your background, everyone can have access to this amazing experience. Not everyone can travel, right? for different reasons. It could be economic reasons or health reasons or sometimes like a cultural or visa issues. We're fairly lucky, you know, in the West, like we don't really think about this because we have very strong passport and it's so easy to get on a flight and go anywhere we want, but like it's not really the case for everyone. So what if like we could create a world that was accessible to everyone and everyone could learn about new cultures and also provide, again, a transparent framework to see how these experiences and immersive experiences can possibly contribute the stakeholders involved, right? So I think there's a lot of potential there and we're very excited to to actually bring some elements of that direction and vision like later this year. Can't announce that yet, but we're working with an amazing Web3 partner to start building that vision and start building our own first quantum temple space. And so kind of building almost like a world of worlds where you come to quantum temple, you can learn about all the things that we're doing. And then suddenly you're going to be able to access all these like sub worlds that we are slowly kind of like exploring and learning together. That's really interesting stuff. So an amazing partner that you can't announce. What way is it amazing? No, you don't have to give away too much. (laughs) But let's have the final question here in this segment because we want to get on to quick hitters. I'm curious what other projects besides what you're focused on that you've been following in the Web3 space that excite you? I would say bias because I follow a lot of the things that are happening in ReFi, right? Like I think a lot of us that are more maybe in the impact vertical, we all Mm -hmm. kind of follow, you know, this initiative. I'm generally like very intrigued by the different use cases that are coming to market and specifically in ReFi, how the technology is being used for the right purpose. I think in general, especially after the hopes of like the last year, the whole space has been called to maybe greater integrity and purpose. And I think these use cases are very much needed to reestablish that trust in the ecosystem. So of course, there's a lot of projects in carbon or like ocean reforestation or transparent philanthropy or just general inclusion, right? Like I think, again, Web3 is still fairly male dominated and very much skewed to certain regions of the world. And I think we're a big fan of those that are trying to equalize it and make it more accessible for everyone. Awesome. Well, Josh has been working very hard to make sure we have plenty of women represented at Outer Edge so we're excited to be a part of that. Well done. Excited to have you on the program. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? 
And does blockchain taste better, barbecued, or deep-fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore, because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them, and also train you in real-world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. All right. Well, let's move on to Edge Quick Hitters. This is going to be really fun. These are fun, quick way to get to know you a little bit better. 10 quick questions. We're looking for just a short, single or few word response, but feel free mm -hmm. to expand if you get the urge. Are you ready? Hopefully. <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm kind of nervous be, about this. It's not going to be hard. You could make stuff up if you want. Can't remember. Okay, but yeah, good. whatever. What's the first thing you ever purchased in your life? Oh my God. It got to be pasta or pizza because I'm Italian. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. That's a great answer. Yeah, I was trying to figure out where you were from really. Folks can check out her video and listen to your accent. I'm pretty good with accents and you could have been from any place, yeah. I guess, with all your travels, it's got diluted. What's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Probably it was a... Not pizza or the, pasta. The BB. No, no, no. It was a phone. It was a phone. A phone. Like a smartphone? The, Blackberry? The, the Blackberry. A Blackberry. Remember Blackberries? Do we still have Blackberries? I invested in that company okay. and it totally went to crap. <laughs> Nice. They let I me couldn't down. even remember the name, how yeah. memorable that was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what is the most recent thing you purchased? Dinner. <laughs> so it's about the food, right? I'm Italian. Yeah, yeah. I hope it was a good one. <laughs> yes, it was. It was awesome. I'm in Indonesia, right? So I'm like experimenting with Indonesian food and oh, yeah. it's so good. Man. All right. I want some food porn pictures at some point. What uh, was that thing we went to in Davos? It was like all this Asian food. It was amazing. Right? It was pretty good. But also the cheese and sausage from the vending machine was also really good. There. <laughs> all right. What is the most recent thing you sold? Crypto. <laughs> Crypto. There you go. Just divested on some positions. Not all. For sure not. <laughs> yeah, that's the question. What did you sell? <laughs> Cannot. Can't you can't say. say, you can't Not, say, all right. No financial advice on this episode, Ethan. Come on. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. All right, sounds good. All right, question number five. What is your most prized possession? Definitely my passport. <laughs> all right, I like that one. That's a good one. We haven't gotten that one. It's a great answer. Number six, if you could buy anything in the world, a digital, physical service experience that is currently for sale, what would it be? Teleportation. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't buy that. I mean, I feel like you can teleport a couple molecules these days, like if you want to do that. Yeah. But <laughs> that's why we're building the quantum temple, I guess. OK. All right. All right. Well, uh, we'll take we that. Now? Should we accept that answer, Josh? Teleportation? Uh, yeah, I think that works. I mean, we're going towards the outer edge here. Why not? Exactly. Uh, all right. All right. If you could pass on one of your personality traits, the next generation, what would it be? Patience. I need one for also my present self. No, I'm joking. 
On the flip side, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would it be? Stubbornness. I'm also Taurus, so. <laughs> yeah, that could be a tough one. Sometimes it's productive, but sometimes maybe it could be balanced more. I get really annoyed with stubborn people. It's like, ah, when are you going to give up? <laughs> <laughs> but they're also the stubborn people are the builders of the future. So they just don't quit. Yeah. And there's no such thing as a stubborn person. It's just a personality trait that comes and goes. So we're fine. All right. Next question. This is a relatively easy one. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? It's on a pretty exciting call with the rest of the team, just getting everything ready for launch. And yeah, just like pushing everything forward for a big day, uh, March 21st. So Very nice. All right. And then final question. What are you going to do next after the podcast? I hope I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> It's like midnight 30 here. Well, listen, the lights keep going off. If you just stay still, it'll be relatively easy to go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see, we'll see. I'm still working at ESD time zones, but I think the light is helping. So, Ethan, I have a bonus question. Go for it. Go for it. Okay. So, as someone who's done a lot of traveling, Ethan and I both have done a lot of traveling. I'm particularly curious, what is your fondest travel memory that got you inspired Mm. to sort of forge the path that you've gone down since then? Yeah, it's a good one. It's a long one, though. Can I make it one minute? Give it a shot. Give it a shot. Yeah, when I was 17, I... I All right, we're out of time. Let's go on to the next segment. No, just kidding. All right, go ahead. Yeah, when you were 17. When I was 17, I did one year study abroad. And actually, I went to Honduras, Central America, to San Pedro Sula, which is a pretty rough place for everyone that knows about it. But it definitely taught me a lot and was definitely an instrumental part of my kind of the future trajectory that manifested after that. So yeah, I wouldn't say it was like the best, but it was like one of the most kind of like instrumental that kind of then determined kind of like everything else. So I was very grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Those early experiences are make a big impression on us. All right. Yeah. Well, that was quick hitters. You survived. You didn't teleport oh to some other place to try to escape. So we're good there. Next segment we're going to cover here. I think we have time for a couple hot topics. What do you say, Josh? Let's do it. Let's do it. We haven't been able to do hot topics very much lately. We're very busy. But OK, so the first one, a Vitalik Buterin has an NFT collection, quadratic funding drop pulls in millions. The NFT collection, which celebrates Ethereum creator Vitalik Buterin's contributions to a popular Web3 funding model, was created by MetaLabel in collaboration with Web3 funding platform Gitcoin. Open Edition Mint launched on March 1, but NFT traders may have missed the memo before today when secondary sales suddenly ripped following the end of the initial sale period. I don't know if that article, people will be listening at a later date, but recently, right, this happened. Josh, had you heard about this? What do you think? So I didn't know about this, but it's super cool. Vitalik, poor Vitalik, he's been brought into so many sort of meme coin projects and People throw these things in his wallet that he has no sort of knowledge or association with. It's actually quite cool to see him get out there and do something on his own to sort of move the industry forward. I'm excited to check out this collection. Yeah. How about you, Linda? What do you think? Is this something that you're going to go grab or or pay much attention to? Or what do you think? Yeah, I think like I'm fascinated with the intersection between NFTs and like governance. In this case, the funding of public goods. So there's potential. Like I'm just not sure, like because obviously Vitalik is involved and everyone 
well, like this has been seen more as uh, another amazing opportunity to come in and create value. But actually, the intention, I'm not sure how the intention was because kind of really fully realized by the people that have really got pulled into it right away, right? So we'll see kind of like what the impact of this will be kind of like in the long term. But in general, I think there's definitely potentials in quadratic funding and again, the intersection of Web3 and governance. So yeah, yeah. Anything else, guys? Or should we move on from that one? You want to cover another one, Josh? Sure. Let's okay. Let's do a Yuga Labs one here. Why Yuga Labs embrace of Bitcoin NFTs? Actually, we, we haven't had too much time to talk about Bitcoin NFTs and ordinals here. So this is good. It's a big deal. Couldn't be a more interesting time. Bitcoin Yuga Labs, the $4 billion company behind the Board Ape Yacht Club non-fungible token series generated $16.5 million from its first NFT auction using the Ordinals protocol on Bitcoin. These 288 NFTs, part of a collection called 12-fold, created shockwaves for the crypto community on Tuesday. company announced its plans to launch the project last week, a move that should not be understated. Well, it's all over the place. I'm hearing about Ordinals. And we were asked about it, you and me, Josh, on a Twitter space yesterday, kind of what we think about what's going on there. And how it might be a part of Outer Edge and things like that. Have you gotten ordinal yet? I certainly don't. (laughs) I have not had time. I've been so focused on the Outer Edge in just a few weeks, but I did go to an ordinals meetup in East Denver and was really learned a lot about sort of this unique immutability component that has to do with sort of inscriptions. And I think one of the more interesting elements of the Coindesk article is that the Ordinals project has tipped the number of non-zero Bitcoin addresses to an all-time high of 44 million, which is really interesting. And certainly we've seen in the past that Yuga is definitely a beacon of future innovation for the industry. It's really hard to deny paying attention to anything that Yuga does and what kind of breadcrumb trail may sort of be created as a result of that. So I think we'll see other major players jump into this particularly nascent area. Of course, there's going to be some Bitcoin maximalists that aren't as happy about what's going on here. But when we're talking about immutability, it is very cool what's possible with the Ordos project. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I was just listening to some podcasting earlier today about folks who were earlier on board with Bitcoin, kind of building the first ways to buy with cash and get involved in it. And it's fascinating to think back of those times and think how small the community was, how kind of like ragtag all of these things were to buy Bitcoin. You had to like wire money to another country, right? And like paying wire fees and all this stuff just to get like a few Bitcoin, which are worth a ton now. But like at the moment, it was a lot of around principles, right? And people's beliefs about the future. And I'm sure not only did other people think they were crazy, but there weren't that many of them, right? So it's hard to maintain that level of commitment. And so it's interesting to see more developing on top of Bitcoin, the staying power of Bitcoin and so forth. I think it's more about just like leveraging each ecosystem value and their almost like community based, right? Like that's why I think a lot of these projects are going multi-chain because collectors and holders have their own assets on their own on those protocols. And of course, they don't want to divest maybe depending on like what time they buy it. And so of course, also like everything new and native, it's always going to be have a so-called historic value, right? But I think it's more about different projects trying to tap into new community growth tactics, right? Then that is underlying core of this initiative. So yeah, so yeah, I think it's most of that. That did come up yesterday when Josh and I were talking about how the communities vary, right? Between the different types of NFTs and their their intentionality. 
Exactly, right? Like each ecosystem has its own adopter with their own kind of like values and beliefs. And so I think it's interesting to see how projects that maybe started on one protocols are shifting around and creating more almost like protocol specific initiatives to tap into those new community segments that they might want to attract to. For sure. Yeah. So I think we had another hot topic on the agenda, but let's skip that. Let's start to wrap up. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe, it's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. I would love to go on to our next segment around shout outs because I think you had some great folks to recognize there. Can you say who you might like to shout out, Linda? Yeah. First off, definitely would love to shout out to all the participating community members from Bali that have given a great deal of trust in us, bringing forth this project along. So we're super grateful for the partnership. And then also for the Ministry of Tourism and Creative Economy for of Indonesia to making the first step into saying to the future and really like enabling the space. So we're very grateful for the partnership and excited to see what are going to be working on together this year. Perfect. That's great. So finally, before we wrap up completely, Completely. We want to make sure listeners know where to go to learn more about you and the projects you're working on. So can you share that? Yeah, for sure. So if you want to learn more about us, I definitely encourage you to check out our website at quantumtemple.xyz and also follow us on Twitter at quantum underscore temple or on also on Instagram. Our content is very much visual and we have amazing videos that showcase all the different cultures and traditions we're exploring. So definitely check out IG and we also launch our YouTube channel. So you can check us out there. Awesome. Welcome to YouTube. All right. Well, it's a fun and exciting place to be. We're growing our own YouTube presence and it's been quite a journey. All right. Well, it's been a great episode with you, Linda. I'll walk us off here. We've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs today. Thanks to everyone for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends, recruit some cool strangers as well that will make this journey all so much better. 
How can you do that? Well, just go to Spotify, go to iTunes right now, rate us, say something awesome, then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. You can look us up on all major social platforms by typing edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.